Chapter 14 of The Red Cross Girls with the Italian Army. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matthew Swatera. The Red Cross Girls with the Italian Army by Margaret Vandercook. Chapter 14 Uncertainty. But, my dear Signora, even the severest American chaperone would agree to this. Sonia looked at her guest steadfastly for an instant and then smiled. But I have told you many times that I am not an American, Eugenio, even if Nona is, and you will confuse facts. Besides, you know you are not an American, even if your mother was, and you like now and then to pose as one. In many ways you are the most Italian of persons, and I am by no means sure I trust you. Sonia answered with a half-humorous, half-serious inflection in the tones of her voice. She and Eugenio Zoli were very good friends, to the point of Sonia's calling the young man by his first name. Moreover, she understood the young Italian even better than he enjoyed her doing. That is an insult to my country and to me, signora, and only your sex protects you after such a speech. But if you'll do as I ask, why? Eugenio smiled. Oh, Nona may go with you if you'll promise not to walk far away from the villa and not to stay out too late, Sonia conceded. Also, I assure you, Signor Eugenio, that it is only in matters of the heart where I fear your countrymen are not always to be trusted. So remember, Nona dear, that it is moonlight in Italy and Eugenio is a gallant soldier. Sonia laughed, and Nona paid no particular attention to what she was saying. Indeed, she thought that Sonia's and Eugenio's somewhat stilted conversation was the least bit silly and that Sonia's was not altogether in good taste. Moreover, she was anxious to be out of doors. Dinner had been over half an hour at the Villa Felice and coffee served some time before in the drawing room. Carlo Navarra had come to his own apartment. Although much better, he was still an invalid. Nona wished that Bianca would occasionally disappear as well, but Bianca was omnipresent, never apparently thinking it her place to retire until Sonia's guest and Sonia herself had withdrawn. However, tonight the girl might serve as a companion for Sonia, if she were lonely, which was not probable for even Bianca could not arrange to accompany her foster brother on the present occasion. Nevertheless, Nona was a little irritated by believing she noticed a demure smile upon Bianca's face at Sonia's last words. However, Nona realized that she was always a little bit suspicious of the younger girl and perhaps not always fair. Nona also put on a white muslin dress for dinner and wore over her shoulders an ivory crepe shawl which belonged to Sonia. Finally, she and Eugenio went out together. The moon had passed the fullness, but was still wonderfully brilliant with a late summer radiance. The air was no longer filled with the scent of roses, although in Italy roses bloom all the year. But tonight there was a stronger vagrance, the odor of ripening grapes. For much of the hill country about Florence is a vineyard country, and Sonia's villa was set in the midst of it. Nona and Eugenio first walked through the little garden with its orange and lemon trees, and then Eugenio found a path which, at length, brought them to a little marble bench, not far from what had once been a fountain, but was now overgrown with vines. This is part of our estate too, so we are keeping our word, Eugenio said as he spread out his handkerchief on the stone seat. We have a good deal of land about here, but we're not able to take proper care of it, so it has gone to waste. I believe that is the present tragedy of all Italy, so much we have that is beautiful and worthwhile and so little money to turn it to account. Nona and her companion were both seated as Eugenio said this. Nona hesitated a moment and then answered quietly, I think I like things best as they are. 
You see, in the past two years, I have traveled so much, having nursed in most of the Allied countries since the war began. So when other people told me I should be overwhelmed by the spell of Italy, I don't think I quite believe them. However, I have been, and I suppose no one can escape its glamour. Why, tonight this place about us seems like some wonderful dream country. You see, I like this ruined part of your garden better than the places which have been carefully tended. I admire that old fountain there with the vines half hiding it and that charming little boy's figure with his arms full of real green things, far better than I could ever like a well-kept fountain. Say, one of those ugly kind we have in so many of our American parks. You see, you don't know, Senor Eugenio, how inartistic we Americans can sometimes manage to be in our own country, Nona ended. Eugenio shook his head. I'm afraid I can think of nothing about your country which is not flattering, he returned. Perhaps because of my mother, I have always had a deep interest in the United States. But since your entrance into this war for the sake of an ideal, with nothing to gain and so much to suffer, why, I don't mind being considered an enthusiast. Many other Italians also feel as I do and are anxious to have you understand us. I think we are even a little jealous, because France and England and now the new Russia seem in closer touch with you than Italy. I wonder if you know Italy controls more enemy territory in Europe than all the Entente allies combined. She is holding a longer battlefront than the French, British, and Belgian fronts. Her long trench line is blasted from solid rock and her guns have to be carried from mountain peak to mountain peak. But forgive me for writing my hobby like this. I'm sorry. I didn't come out to talk to you about Italy tonight. I believe I came to talk about you and perhaps about myself. The tone of the young man's voice altered. I hope I haven't bored you too much. Truly, I did not spend so much time persuading the signora to let us have this hour together to make a patriotic speech. You will forgive me? Nona smiled her forgiveness. How utterly unlike anyone she had ever known was her companion. Yet somehow his curious mixture of careless good nature with his ardent patriotism attracted her very much? Or was she not attracted by Eugenio himself? Is it not rather like a girl to think she likes or dislikes certain traits in a man's character when it is the man himself she either likes or dislikes? You see, I am going back to the front in a day or so and I wanted to say farewell. I have seen my physician today and he at last has given his consent. It may be tomorrow that I shall go. So I may not see you again until I come back, if I ever return. Eugenio went on. One does not know, he spoke with a soldier's careless fatalism. But Nona felt a queer little stiffening in her throat, the feeling that she cared whether Eugenio returned more than she had any possible right to do. She looked very fair and sweet with her head a little bowed and her pale yellow hair bound in close braids shining in the silver light with a kind of pale glow. Now she pulled Sonia's shawl a little closer about her. I am sorry to have to say goodbye to you. Only for your sake, as I know how much you have wished to go, I must not be sorry. Nona answered, needing a little effort to keep her voice steady. No more sorry than that, Eugenio returned in the voice and manner which Nona had never been able to understand. Was he in earnest, or was he only pretending to care for her that he might leave with her a more charming impression? You see, it has meant a great deal to me to have known you, and to have you living in my mother's home, more than perhaps you dream, or than I have any right to tell you now. But you will be my friend, and when I return, Eugenio's hand touched Nona's lightly and gently, but before she could answer, looking up she saw two figures approaching them. In a moment, she discovered they were Sonia's and Bianca's. The young Italian girl was leading the way down the same path which Eugenio had taken through the garden. 
I am sorry, Eugenio, Sonia began half apologetically, but it is growing later than you and Nona can realize, and you know Nona was tired when she came in and must be back at the hospital early in the morning. But why have I never seen this beautiful part of the garden until tonight? Bianca, you might have showed it to me before. Then, as Eugenio and Nona had both risen, Sonia put her arm around Nona's shoulder, in a kind of protecting fashion. Then Sonia, with Nona of necessity beside her, started back toward the villa, leaving Eugenio and Bianca to follow. The young man would not come in again. He preferred saying goodnight out on the piazza. And Nona was always to remember him as he said goodbye, not to her, but to Sonia. Lifting Sonia's hand, he bent his head and kissed it, and then said, To Italy and her allies, and to peace. Then the next moment he had gone. Yet Nona imagined, perhaps foolishly, that Eugenio's final farewell had been the look he gave her, just as he turned to go away. The following day, he returned to the Italian front. End of chapter 14. Uncertainty.